I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. The process of designing a software architecture involves different aspects, such as the type of project, the organization involved, the people involved, and many others. Stefania Stefansdottir, lead developer and consultant at ThoughtWorks, explained through a series of examples what software architecture design can consist of. We talked about how one can start tackling a project and the role of the architect and tech lead. Stefania also explained how to validate a solution and the risks of a project. Stefania Stefansdottir, lead developer and consultant at ThoughtWorks, is joining us today. Stefania, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to be talking about software architecture and various roles that are involved in this. Two of them are the role of the architect and the tech lead. First, I want to begin to understand both of these. Can you explain what the role of an architect is in software architecture? That depends a lot on the organizations that you're working in. For example, in some cases, there can be more about setting strategy for how you want to design your systems. They're often maybe specialists in smaller parts of a system if the company is very big, but they often set strategies like how do they want their architecture to lie? Like, do they want to have go for microservices architecture or other kinds of architecture? Or they could also be dealing with a lot of legacy systems and how to manage and deal with them. But in general, architects are should be experts in the system that they are in. What about the tech lead? That also depends on the organizations. Depending on the company, sometimes tech leads have really only have leadership off of their own domain. So they will do smaller technical decisions. Like they can maybe work within a larger like a strategy that the architect has set and then maybe, maybe decide like what languages are they using if that has not been decided for them kind of what are the technical like things that have to happen maybe think about what kind of testing strategy you want to do or basically also just figure out what is actually the technical solution and how does it look like for a very smaller subset of problems? So architect might look at the technical strategy from a larger level, like how does this work across the whole company or my larger department within my organization? While a tech lead might look at decisions from a more of a micro level based off of the project that they are currently in. But there should, of course, be a collaboration between tech leads and software architects. Would you say... A tech lead also tends to focus more on the execution plan or not really? Most of the time, yes. But in some cases, software architects are more involved even on day-to-day -day basis. Okay. One thing that I've seen you mention before is that sometimes senior developers can get asked to suddenly start leading a new project or architect a system. Like you mentioned earlier, it's very common for architects to be specialists and experts So what I want to ask you is, what are some useful things that a developer should know about this, about working in software architecture if they sort of just get thrown into this kind of projects? That is a very complicated question because it depends a lot on the organization that you're in and kind of 
the environment you're in, but what they mostly need to think about is the organization that they're in. So every organization is different. You have to look at what are the systems that you're dealing with? So what are your dependencies? What are the large scale systems in the company? And who are your kind of the closest neighbors in your system? And so, for example, if you have a dependency on a different department, they might have a different kind of maybe legacy systems or different kind of architecture. And think about how does that affect your own system? Also, what you need to think about, especially something we think about as consultants that we come in, is like what technology choices are we making? And are these good technology choices for our client based off of like the capabilities that they have in their development staff? For example, you wouldn't put in closure if everybody on the staff is Java or like .NET or something like that. Like it, you have to think about those kind of setups. When you're coming into a, also as an architect, it depends on what you're trying to solve. It's also like what kind of infrastructure is in place and what needs to be put into place to be able to function and work very well. And the second thing, like one of the more important things are probably what we call the illities or the non-functional requirements. So those can be like security, like can um, robust ability, like being robust, the, um, being able to scale, like scalability, for example. So those things that you have to kind of start keeping track of, like you as a software, like not as a software architecture, but technically that kind of works in that space. You really need to start thinking more about what are the major things and blocks that you need to be aware of. And then, of course, the business problem that you're trying to solve. Exactly. So one thing that you highlighted various times is that this is very dependent on the kind of project you're working on. Perhaps the industry is not the same building software for healthcare or rockets. So it depends on the project, the industry, but it sounds like there are some general things common across this, which is for a, a software engineer to sort of start getting familiar with working in projects like software architecture. A lot of the things that you mentioned that need to happen is this person needs to be more aware about the groups of interest, people involved in the project from different organizations, code dependencies that might exist and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that starts to be like the next, the higher step. So I often talk, then I think about kind of your trajectory through being in like technology in general. When you start and you come in, you are really thinking, especially if you're in an agile environment, you're really thinking about the cart that you're working on. So you're, you might be pairing with a senior developer or something like that, but you're looking at a cart and you really think in just your cart in terms of designing your solution just for that cart. You're not thinking necessarily about the solution that this cart is part of because that could be part of an epic. When you start to be more and comfortable being in technology, you start looking at the epic and how everything puts together. And then when you get more and more senior, you start maybe looking at the whole solution. I think when you start to kind of branch over to software architecture, you're looking at the holistic environment of where your solution is. And that's that's kind of how you're always kind of like broadening the bina, the border of where you kind of how you're looking at your problems. To understand this better, can you walk through an example of a project or a situation that you worked on? For example, I want to understand in that particular case, what kind of information do you start with? 
Yeah, I can talk about one project is that I've I've been brought in for and maybe a client has to come to me with a fairly difficult business problem. And I might have some domain understanding just because I have a fairly diverse background that I'm basically trying to break apart this problem. So it could be anything from like a supply chain problem or it could be in terms of like data science project. It's something like that. And I think bring this business problem to me and it can be often huge. They often bring you very much pie in the sky problem. And the first thing that I need to do is figuring out what is the smallest thing that we can do that kind of solves the initial problem. And that is what we restart really with it. But when we look at that, we of course, I don't live in isolation in my clients. My clients are often huge. They have often different departments and they often need a lot of coordination to be able to get a project out of the door. And then the first you need to look at is that, okay, I have this problem, but what is the information that I need to get to be able to solve this problem? And that often can be like information from a different system. It could be that this information doesn't exist. It could be that the capability doesn't even exist or it may might exist. But coming in, especially if you haven't been in a company for a long time, because if you're a consultant, so we come in new, we have to figure out where can we find those answers and how are we looking at this like problem in a holistic vision. So after I've gone with the client and I kind of figure out and I narrow it down the business problem, we often start basically stepping through the workflows and multiple different scenarios and thinking, okay, what are all our open questions? And we start putting all of that down. After we can figure that out, we started to look into where could we possibly get this information? And that starts to be interviews and meetings with multiple different parts of the organization, kind of digging always further and deeper in. This is quite frequently what I think it, I say is that you start with one meeting and they ask, tell you to talk to three other people and you talk to three other people. And basically how often I look at those problems, especially when I'm dealing with or, like the sister organizations or dependencies, is trying to get to a point where I am hearing the same answers over and over again. I don't like if I'm hearing still discrepancies between them, it means that I'm not getting the right information somewhere. I see. When I've seen all of that, it starts to look into what is this, the technical strategy off of this company. They might have their own software architects that actually have developed a a strategy, architecture strategy they want to follow. And if they have that, you have to figure out how does my system actually works in that architecture strategy and how can we comply to it? Because first is you have to follow a technical strategy of a company. If you're not necessarily think your system doesn't necessarily work within that strategy, then you need to start talking to other people, figuring out how would we make it work? Is this like a one-off that is completely different than the rest? Or are we just thinking about the problem differently or something like that? And after we kind of figure out the technical strategy and how our architecture and our design would work within it, then we have often a blueprint for what we really need to do. the problem often with that is that this can take a long time. And so it's a question of what do you start doing while you're doing that? Because you often have a development team with you and you can't necessarily wait for all that to flush out before you start. And then it starts to be like, okay, what are the core components? And you know you will always need, then can we start doing some of that infrastructure? And those are a couple of things that I start kind of tackling these kind of problems. Mm-hmm. To understand the workflow a little more, I wanted to ask you about fictitious business problem, or it could be something you already worked in. What would be an example of this? Are they um, very vague business problems? For example, oh, I'm, I'm looking at why users are dropping off from using my product, or is it more specific? 
like we want to migrate our architecture from a monolith architecture to a microservices architecture just to get a sense of one type of business problem and where you would take it from there as a consultant in software architecture. Yeah. So basically, though, what I mostly deal with is because I'm a developer, I'm not necessarily work as a software architect, but so I have more specific problems than necessarily just like micro to the cloud or break up your monolith to microservices. We get those kind of problems as consultants all the time. But by the time that often I get a problem, it might be smaller. But often when client reaches me, often it's like more of a business problem. It could be I need to add this capability in my supply chain. It could be I need to keep track of my inventory in the system that I don't have enough insight into. Those kind of problems can be, for example, something that we can be solving. It could also be that I am trying to reach my audience and like who mark my market groups and how do I do that? And depending on those business questions, sometimes we'll tackle them differently. But let's say that there are more of a digestible business problem like that. I would not need an experienced designer or user experience person with because those are, <laughs> so for example, in the cases for looking at your marketing group, that that would be something you would want to bring in people like that. But let's say for a supply chain problem, for example, you would have some understanding or you have some SMEs from the client that can help you understand the problem. Then it starts to be looking at the problem, figuring out your dependencies, like what is the information that you need that to be able to solve this problem? In the case of sometimes in supply chain, it be, could be like, how do I get information about the shipments or how do I get information about the items in my back room? And where are you getting that information from? Mm-hmm. And uh, what a system is actually helping you find that? Or it could be also, what system do you hand over information to because you're trying to solve a business problem that actually reaches a customer? It could be, for example, nowadays, a lot of companies have this kind of last mile problem of like, how do I get a shipment to my customer's hands quickly? Then it's like, how are we delivering these products? And how do you hand this over between systems? So you're looking at your, who are your neighbors in this? Also, what are you building it on top of? Does your company that you're working for have an easy way to, for example, build your applications? Like, do they have the infrastructure to work fairly quickly? Or do you need to start maybe building some of those capabilities? Those are all questions that you need to start looking at. And that will kind of help you figure out what do you really need when you start building and how you actually fit inside the architecture of a larger organization. And a component in this process are the requirements. There can be functional and non-functional requirement. Can you explain these two, functional and non-functional requirements? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, but to be honest, I don't really like calling them functional and non-functional because I think they're all functional. Because like you can't really do things if you don't have your security correct setup or if you can't scale your servers. Like that is a, we call them non-functional requirements or they basically are just not necessarily business business problem specific requirements. Um, So, but in our case, when people traditionally talk about them, functional are like, I want like that my customer can see the order on the website is a functional requirement. And non-functional requirement could be that I want to have a 99.99% capability for my user to see order on the website. So if like, for example, during 
like Black Friday sales or something like that, when everybody's expecting new orders, that you're going to see a lot more load on your website. Everybody can see them. That sometimes is traditionally called a non-functional requirement, but when you think about it, that's also kind of a business requirement. Another one is just keeping my customers' records safe with uh, so many breaches happening all over. Like That is uh, often considered a non-functional requirement. Another component of this is evaluating technology choices, figuring out what technologies can be used. What are examples of technologies that can be evaluated? So, of course, that depends on like where you are in your organization. Uh, for a tech lead, quite frequently, it's smaller decisions like which language am I using? If your company allows that, some companies actually just have a very specific, like one language that they allow, or they could also have like a group of languages that they allow. They might have a couple of functional ones and a couple of object-oriented ones. And then you have to look at like, which language do I want to use and why am I using that? If the case is that you have complete freedom, then actually the question gets even more important because when a lot of technologies, I feel like, have this, oh, shiny new thing kind of uh, mentality. And when you get that urge, you have to really ask yourself, why am I wanting to use this shiny new thing as my technology choice? And really question, like, like, what components of that language am I using and why are they so important for this specific problem? In cases for more traditional languages, is often follow what majority of your team are comfortable with or like while it actually fits to your language, to your the, the specification of your problem. Another one could be database choices. What kind of database are you going to use? Relational versus non-relational. Some of it is actually associated with how you are giving information to different systems. Like, are you wanting to have events that are going to go into more event-based? But technology choices is more like database language, testing frameworks, often like other JavaScript frameworks, for example, are choices that often senior like people who come in as tech leads have to make. And during the process of evaluating technology choices, does this also involve building prototypes to sort of help with the evaluation process or not really? It depends. It completely depends on kind of how sure you need to be. In many cases, you're normally evaluating languages or technology choices that you're fairly familiar with, or at least your team is fairly familiar with. And in those cases, you might not need to write prototypes. In some cases, you want to do spikes or test out some things like for example, if your one of your like illities or your non-functional requirements is, for example, query speed, like how quickly can you get information from your database, you might want to actually set up some kind of prototyping, not prototyping, but some kind of spike that you test out, like how quickly would I be able to utilize these? But that completely depends on the what you're trying to solve and how secure you need to be in your choices. When we are looking at the business problem and then we're going through the technology choices evaluation, we at some point also need to start thinking of the risks of a project. What could be some risks that can happen? That depends on your size of your project. But if you have a lot of dependencies, that is a increased risk for your project. But dependencies are almost impossible to avoid. Uh, especially when you're in large-scale systems, then it starts to be important to figure out is the capability that you need from your dependency systems existing or is it something that they need to do work on? And that is, for example, a risk. 
and often a huge risk. Uh, risk around your technology choices often involves that sometimes you just couldn't have foreseen something happening. Like all of a sudden you get a new requirement and you had built all your choices based off of what you had previously and it might not fit completely into the pattern. And then you have to evaluate like, do I need to pivot? Do I need to redo some of the stuff? That is a risk, for example. I feel like that happens the less of the time, less often. Often also, if you're choosing technology choices that are not necessarily norm within the team that you're working on, it could also be the risk of a ramp up. Like how quickly can your team learn new languages or frameworks or technologies and still be productive? And you have to take those things into account, especially if you have very strict deadlines. And those are everything like that has, is a factor. Since we're talking about this in the under the lens of you're coming in as a consultant, somebody external, is there also a risk, for example, you start working on this and building it, but there can be a risk that the people at the company take a long time to figure out how to keep working on this project? Like maybe they were JavaScript programmers and then suddenly this, this thing's in C Sharp. Is that also something that you need to look at? Uh, you look at that before you even start, to be honest. Technology choices should really be able and uh, evaluated based off of the capability of, of the that the company already has. And I think that is one of the more important things that you do as a consultant when you come in with the recommendations, that you don't necessarily choose technology choices that are don't fit at all within the company because that does increase sometimes their cost and often has a lot of problems necessarily for their employees because they might not even know how to manage it because let's say if I leave in a six months later or something like that when my project is finished I need to have somebody I can hand over my project and they know how to manage it and that's something I really want to avoid I don't want to leave my clients in a lurch. One more thing that I want to talk about is software quality. Just to get some thoughts from you in where does this start coming into play when we are working as consultants? From start, from definitely from the start. So in uh, coming from ThoughtWorks, we have a huge, huge emphasis on quality. We are big proponents for test-driven development. We really think about our testing strategy when we come in. We use continuous integration, continuous development, delivery all the time. So for us, quality is one, two, three. Like it's, you always have to think about it. Some of it's just built into our practices, so we don't even have to think about it in from the start. It kind of just happens. But of course, quality is not only doing your testing and being like, and those kind of things. It's actually everything from your availability of your services, how your infrastructure is set up, what kind of design are you doing? Are you actually understanding the problem? Because you could have gold-plated perfect code that doesn't have any bugs, but if it doesn't do what your client or your customer wanted, then it's not a success. It is actually a failure. So quality can come across in different factors. And like you said, in the organization that you work, which is ThoughtWorks, you're big proponents of software quality and they set the tone in a lot of best practices in many different areas like software design, software architecture. For people that are not 
super familiar with ThoughtWorks. Can you give a quick overview of the company? Yeah, of course. We are a 25-year-old software consultancy. We're founded in Chicago, and we are currently now over 6,000 people spread across 40 offices in 14 different countries. We are basically a partner of choice if clients want to use technology as a key differentiator to drive their business. So we are often known for things like writing books and going to conferences and talk about technology, but all of the knowledge that we're bringing into those mediums is coming from our work that we're doing with our clients. Yes, and it also sounds like people that work here have many years of experience in in software development. And yes, they, they write books, but it comes from all the knowledge they build up, right? Yeah, they do. And just coming from everybody, we have people from even starting their careers uh, to be having been here for more than 23 years. So we have a huge spectrum and we really try to grow our people. And a lot of that's kind of the interesting part about ThoughtWorks is that we learn so much from being on all these different kind of clients. But what we also learn so much is from the people around us, because ThoughtWorks is great about like hiring a diverse set of people. So when you speak to ThoughtWorkers, if you ask them, like, what do you like the most about ThoughtWorks is normally the people that they're going to work with. Exactly. And I remember vividly in one of the Grace Hopper conferences that I attended, ThoughtWorks was the company that got the award for, like you said, having a diverse workforce, right? Yeah, we have been, in Grace Hopper, we have been gotten the Anita Bork Institute's top company of women technologists for three consecutive years. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought it was that year, but that's great. And are there particular things that you really appreciate from the company? in terms of that inclusion? So many things. I think just like their effort in growing people, really. So interestingly enough, ThoughtWorks has something called, we call it now first year experience program, but we've called it different names throughout the years. And I came in from grad school directly into ThoughtWorks and I don't have a CS background, I'm actually an engineer. And so I come through this program and they really teach you very much about how to work in a natural environment and kind of go through step through step of like, what what does it involve being a good or a great developer? And it's like a, was a, it's a year to two year program. You get a lot of support and you get a lot of training. And it didn't stop at that. I had a lot of great coaches throughout the years that really have kind of supported me and kind of pushed me forward and really helped me grow. And a lot of it comes from either organized things that ThoughtWorks does or even just organically grown because the people there really care about growing their coworkers. And coming and being now there for six years and now I lead quite frequently, I lead projects. And one of the things like for my most recent project, I have a great team, but helping my team grow in their career development is one of the things that I really care and like the most about it. I really want to them to come through it and think that they learned something and that they feel like they were stretched and felt like helped to be grown. And I feel like there's a lot more people in ThoughtWorks like me who like think that way. And that's how I got to be as good about in my job as I am. And I'm hoping to help other people just grow. And I think that is kind of how ThoughtWorks keeps being this good about diversity and keeping growing people, really. Those are some great insights. Thanks for sharing those. And also... Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you, Stefania. No, thank you very much for this opportunity. It was a pleasure.